If you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 10 this morning. First John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. It's toward the back of your Bible. And we will begin this morning by reading the first six verses. Excuse me, the <laughs> verses 5 through 10, these six verses together. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you. That God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. John begins, really, he begins his letter with a discussion on what it is to walk in the light. So last week, to recap a bit, we received a definition of what true Christian fellowship is. What it means to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And John made the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the theology and all of the doctrine that's tied up into the gospel the basis for significant Christian fellowship. Look at verse 3. He writes, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And... Pastor Steve did a wonderful job at pointing out to us last week what true fellowship is. That is not merely hanging out or spending time together. It is, as John is pointing out in the first four verses of his letters, talking about the things that we know regarding Christ, who He is, what He has done for us, and what He has taught. Fellowship is literally having all things in common. It was something that John said that they proclaimed for the sake of fellowship. John also wrote that his letter's purpose was that our joy may be complete. So, in this letter, John is defending the faith against false teachers and in doing so is defining what it means for us to have true fellowship with one another, and in turn to have true fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son, Jesus Christ. And He is doing it all for the sake of our joy, that it may be complete. And so I have uh, several observations leading into verse 5 this morning. The first of which 
is from verse 5. God is light. At the beginning of verse 5, John once again affirms that he is writing this message that comes to him directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote in verse 1 that he has heard it and has seen it with his own eyes. That he has looked upon it. That he has touched it with his own hands. Again in verse 2, he writes that he has seen it. That it was made manifest to him. In verse 3, he writes that what he is proclaiming is that which he has seen and heard. And now in verse 5, he writes that he is proclaiming the message that he heard from him. So the it and him that John is writing about, the it that he has heard and seen and looked upon and touched and that was made manifest to him is that which was from the beginning. Jesus Christ. So John and the apostles are eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus. And it is the reality of that life and that work. The accomplishment of that life and the subsequent death and resurrection that John is proclaiming that our joy may be complete. So John starts this out with a foundational truth and it tells us who God is. John is concerned that we know about the nature of God and not necessarily the works of God. He wants to know, he wants us to know about the nature of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 24, John records the words of Jesus when he said, God is spirit. And then here in this verse, in 1 John, that we're looking at, verse 5, John writes, God is light. And in a few weeks, we'll see that when we get over to chapter 4, verse 8, that John writes, God is love. So it's obvious that John wants us to know a few very significant things about the character of God, not just what He has done or is doing or will do. So because this is an important element of what John is writing, it is important for us to ask what John means by that statement, God is light. And the reality of this is very, very important for us to be able to understand the rest of the book of 1 John because God is light is so very foundational to the entire nature of God. So this statement, God is light, is profound because it has a very wide meaning. It seems maybe at first glance that it's simple. It's a simple thing to understand, but the meaning is wide. And I've narrowed it down, hopefully, to what I think are the three most important elements of what it means that God is light. And so I'll be brief with each of these because they can all become a sermon in and of themselves. To say that God is light is to say that, first, God is the source of light. In Psalm 27.1, the psalmist writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And this makes sense most clearly in relation to Jesus. Jesus Christ is that very light. He is 
God and man and is displaying Himself as light. So God is light and He shows that light to us through the Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers in order that they may not see the light. He's referring to the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. So Jesus is God and Jesus is light and the light comes to us through Jesus. The light shines from the Father through Jesus to us. Then in that same passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul writes, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. So now Paul completes this picture for us. The light that is shown from the Father through the Son to us is shown by means of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, in Ephesians 5 8, Paul writes, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. So we see God is light. Jesus Christ is light. And we who are in Christ, because of the Gospel of Christ, share in that light. To say that God is light is to say, number two, that God is truth. This comes from verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I think John could have also wrote, when we walk in darkness, we do not practice or live according to the light. But he writes truth instead. So we can see that I think in many ways light and truth are virtually the same here. And we see this elsewhere in the Bible in places like Psalm 119, 105. The psalmist writes, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The psalmist is saying that the Scriptures are light that is truth. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. So there's a head knowledge regarding this light. Something to be known. So God is light is characterized by truth. A knowledge regarding this light. Something for us to know. Something to be known. So God is light is characterized by this truth. You cannot talk about the light of the Gospel without talking about the truth of the Gospel. God is light means that God is the source and measure of all truth. All that is true is true because it conforms to God. And thirdly, to say that God is light is to say that God is life. 
Psalm 36, 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So here life and light are linked together. As light comes from its source, namely God, life too emanates from its source. And this is the essence of what John was communicating in chapter 1 of his Gospel, verses 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So God created everything, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that is in being. If it exists, it exists because God has caused it to exist. So clearly, He is the source of life. And Jesus Himself, being God, is the Creator. All things were created for Him and through Him and to Him. He is the source of life. In Him was life and the life was the light. So light equals life. And God demonstrates that He is life by manifesting Himself in light. By giving life to men and giving spiritually new life through new creation and new birth in the hearts and lives of His people. So now, real quick, before we move off of this truth that God is light, we must consider the value of light. When we're surrounded by darkness, light helps us to avoid danger. We're able to see what's around us, where we're stepping, what's overhead, what's in front of us. Light helps us to see what is otherwise unseen. Light allows us to reach what we are after. It gives us hope. And it provides a promise that what, what is before us is not unknown. Likewise, as you draw near to God, you will find more and more light. More will be known to you. More will be attained. More will be provided. And more hope will be poured into your life. God is light. And as John continues in verse 5, there is no darkness in Him at all. Light is true and life-giving and life-sustaining. And so if this is true of light, then the opposite is true of darkness. If light is life, then darkness is death. If light is life-giving, then darkness has no life at all. If God is the source of life, then there is no darkness in Him. Therefore, in the light, in God, there is no death. There is no dying. There is nothing contrary to life. And since God is life and light and no darkness and no death, and Christ is life and light and no darkness and no death, and we have been given that life, there is then for us no death. 
We, like Christ and like God, if we are true believers in Christ, live forever in that eternal life. Light is the promise of hope and of joy. Darkness is the threat of despair and misery. And God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. This is the message that John heard from Jesus. Jesus came into the world to reveal that message. And it's the foundational message of the entire letter of 1 John. So how do we know who has received that light? Walking in the light, verses 6 and 7. Let's read those again together. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So how do we know who's received the light? In other words, how are we to know who possesses life, the eternal life of God? This is John's application of the great truth that God is light. And he's arguing two ways here, negatively and positively. He's rejecting the claims that those who have no right to claim the light, and he's affirming the salvation of those who do have a right to claim the light. John is very, very passionate about the truth. So he wants to distinguish who really has eternal life, who really has the light, who is really in the fellowship, and who is not. So throughout the letter, John is going to present a series of tests that will help us to make this determination. And this passage is the first test, and it examines one's attitude toward sin. And now having clarified that God is light, John is able to deny the claims of fellowship with God to those who live in the darkness of death. John is undoubtedly aiming these statements against those who reject Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. And these persons are living in a state of death because eternal life is found only in Jesus. And if you do not live with a trust in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and as your ultimate treasure in this life, you are the walking dead. To walk in darkness is to be controlled by the desires of this world instead of the desires of God. And the only way that this can happen, the only way that one can walk in darkness is if they are blind to the light of God. To choose darkness over light, you have to be blind. Everyone who loves the world more than God is in the dark. Everyone who loves their possessions, their money, their relationships, their life on this earth more than they love God is walking in darkness. And it's a willful walking in darkness. They do it by choice. 
In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19, John recorded Jesus' words, The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. If you are walking in darkness, if you love the soft, fleeting, two-bit pleasures of this world that run contrary to the Word of God, you do not have fellowship with God. And if you are walking in darkness, if you are amongst the living dead and say that you have fellowship with God, you are, John writes, a liar that does not practice the truth. I'm pleading with you to take the time and the effort to understand this. Because this is a damning truth. And I fear it is increasingly present in the church. If we claim we have fellowship with God and yet do not live with faith in Jesus Christ, if we are not living with a desire to and a joy in obeying the Word of God, We are not practicing the truth. We are walking in darkness. And we will be numbered amongst the goats who will receive the eternal wrath of God. If you're sitting in here this morning with known, unconfessed sin in your life that is persistent, if you are consistently living your life hanging on to the wisdom of this world, rejecting or ignoring or trying to overlook the wisdom of God, if you attempt to rationalize your sin and think that God's law and God's requirements don't apply to you, you're walking in darkness. And if on top of that you claim to be in fellowship with God, you are a liar. Flee from your sin! Repent from your sin. Resolve to leave the shadow of darkness and to live in the light of Jesus Christ. Receive the gift of eternal life that you might have fellowship with God. And some of you might be thinking about someone sitting next to you or someone somewhere else in this room right now. And you're sitting there with a prideful heart that you hope they are hearing what I'm saying. If that's you, don't be deceived into thinking that this doesn't apply to you. Don't be deceived into thinking that you don't have an unending need to repent from your sins and to fight to remain in the light so that there would be no darkness in you at all. If you are to walk in the light, you must continuously preach the Gospel to yourself so that you will stay in the light. If you've identified the sin in your brother's life without considering and repenting of the sin in your life, you may very well be in the darkness and not even know it. Fellowship with God means that you will see things the way that God sees things. You will have the same desires that God has. 
So if we are controlled by the desires of this world instead of the desires for God, it doesn't matter whether or not we say we have fellowship with God. We don't. Instead, we walk in darkness and do not live according to the truth. And so it is imperative that we walk in the light. And by the word walking, I take it to mean that John is calling us to a certain type of lifestyle. To a specific type of life. Look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light is seeing and knowing the truth for what it is. Walking in the light is to be controlled by desires that are consistent with the truth. If God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all, then He is the bright pathway to the fulfillment of our deepest longing, our deepest need, our deepest want. You and I long for absolute, untainted, unrestricted joy. And this kind of joy is only found in the infinitely desirable one, Jesus Christ. Friends, if you have no joy, if your life lacks joy, it's because you're putting your hope and your desires into something or someone other than Jesus Christ. Nothing you replace Jesus with will provide you with the everlasting, eternal joy that is in the light. Now notice in verse 7, there are two things that go alongside walking in the light. John writes that if we walk in the light, then one, we will have fellowship with one another, and two, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Take them one at a time. First, fellowship with one another. When John writes this in verse 7, who is one another? If you look back at verse 6, it would certainly suggest that it is fellowship between God and the believer. Fellowship with Him. So if we were to take those two verses together, we could read, if we say we have fellowship with God and still walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In other words, between God and ourselves. So John's main point here is that something destroys fellowship with God. Namely, walking in darkness. And something builds up or establishes fellowship with God. Namely, walking in the light. But I think it's also important that we consider the fellowship that we discussed last week from verse 3. Because John was identifying his purpose for proclaiming all that Jesus has taught him so that he could have fellowship with his readers. So taken as a whole, I think we can conclude that one another in verse 7 is a reference to both God and fellow believers. And this is very, very important for our relationships with one another because of the implications. John is saying essentially 
that our fellowship and our unity with other believers and with God is to be walking in the light. The experience of true joy in fellowship is at its root an experience that is based on whether or not we are walking in the light. And practically, I think probably most of us have experienced this at some point if we've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time. You might have had a friend or a family member that seems to be growing in the Lord in leaps and bounds. They're consistently reading the Word and other faith-stirring books. They're praying with you regularly. They're meeting with you to discuss the Bible, to listen to sermons, to encourage you in your faith. And you're both consumed by all that the Lord is doing in your life and all that He is teaching you. And then, you sense that your friend is all of a sudden becoming more and more fascinated with some new trend or is more preoccupied with some movie or fashion or celebrity or sporting event or hobby. And in time, this is what they want to talk about. Not God, not the Bible, not prayer. And eventually, because our passions are not aligned in the same way, because we are consumed by different things, our fellowship ends. Not because we want it to end, but because light and dark do not walk together. They cannot walk together without one being consumed by the other. True fellowship is impossible unless we are both walking in the light. The second thing John says in there is that the blood of Jesus is cleansing from sin. Now John is implying that we are able to have fellowship with God and with each other because we have been cleansed from all sin by the blood of Jesus. Stated another way, we are able to walk in the light because we have been cleansed from all sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. All who are in Christ have every single one of their sins which defile and make us unfit for fellowship with God cleansed through Jesus' atoning death. There is no other way to have fellowship with God but by the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And I see an ongoing progressive reality here. There is an ongoing effect of Christ's blood cleansing our hearts. It is effective in that we cannot be content to go on sinning. We are grieved. We are pained by our sins. And that, friends, is a gift. It is a gift from God when your conscience is grieved by your sin. It is a sure reminder to you that you belong to Him and that He is at work in your life because you have a distaste in your mouth and a disgusting feeling in your heart when you have associated with darkness. Hebrews 9.14 says, The blood of Christ will cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is a moral effect of the blood of Christ. This is a progressive, ongoing work in the believer's heart. 
And as Philippians 1.6 says, God will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is our sanctification. This will one day be brought to a completion as we enter eternal rest with Jesus. I think John is also pointing out the reality that there is an ongoing assurance of our fellowship with God because of our justification. In other words, if we walk in the light, we know that all of our sins are already covered and already forgiven by God because of the death of Jesus. We see this when we compare verse 7 to verse 9. Notice in 7 that the condition for cleansing or being cleansed is walking in the light. And then in verse 9, the condition for forgiveness is confessing our sins. So there's an ongoing progressive reality that we are being cleansed as we walk in the light. And then there's an ongoing effect of having already been cleansed and forgiven. It is the reality that our sins are forgiven so that we will be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. And this is good news. The blood of Jesus Christ changes us. The Gospel would not be good news if it meant that we remained as we were prior to receiving a new heart and becoming a new creation in Jesus. And this is what John is driving at. If you claim to have fellowship with God, if you claim to be a Christian, yet your life is indistinguishable from the rest of the world, you are, John says, a liar. You are walking in darkness and you will not escape the wrath of God. And to assume that the Gospel and the effects of Jesus' blood on a believer's life doesn't require a changed life is what encourages a church filled with those who do not serve. Nor do they desire to serve because they have merely attained some mental assent to the love of God. The message of 1 John, the reality that John is driving home, that walking in the light is not optional, but absolutely necessary for salvation, is good news. Because it creates within us the urgency to do serious business with God. It flavors all that we say with eternity. And it honors God's purposes in Christ to destroy sin and take seriously the necessity for glorifying God in our bodies. It leads people to examine their hearts and to determine if they have real faith, real, genuine fellowship with God. Or if they're simply paying lip service to Jesus in a way that does not change and does not save. Examine your heart. Are you walking in the light? What about your life looks different from the world? What about the way you perceive the world and how you live in this world and how you go about your business and your relationships and how you spend and earn your money? About the clothes you wear and the car you drive and the house you live in and the deals you make and the things you do in your spare time, what about these things 
is foolishness to the world because they make Jesus look as great as He is. There are nuggets of evidence in these things that determine whether or not you are walking in the light. Look at verses 8 through 10 with me. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. We'll take 8 and 10 together because they're virtually the same. And then we'll come back to verse 9. John is making the point that walking in the light will illumine the reality of sin in our lives. If we say we have no sin, we are not walking in the light. John writes that we are deceiving ourselves and that we are completely void of the truth. Furthermore, in verse 10, he writes that to claim that we are sinless is to call God a liar and to prove again that God's Word is not in us. So John was most likely arguing here against false teachers who were making the claim that in order to have fellowship with the Holy God, one must be completely sinless. And so they claim to be sinless. And most of us probably read this and say, that's silly, John, because nobody claims that they are sinless. Even those who are enemies of God will usually claim to have done some wrong in their lives or to be imperfect. This is surely an extreme example of a few false teachers who were obviously a little bit messed up. And yet every time... You and I refuse to accept responsibility for our offenses against one another. We are refusing to accept responsibility for our offenses against God. And in doing so, we're claiming to be sinless. Whether it's two church members, siblings, husband and a wife, a parent and a child... There are almost no exceptions to this. When I meet with people to work out conflicts, typically we'll ask both individuals if they have asked for forgiveness from one another. And almost always there's one who will say, Forgiveness? For what? Don't you see that what they have done to me? Well... How about forgiveness for the unrighteous anger in your heart? Or the unkind words of gossip? Or not giving them the benefit of the doubt? Or seeking to retaliate? Or not overlook an offense? But as soon as we get there, as soon as we put our hearts in a place to where we are saying, I did not sin in this situation, someone else did. We are oftentimes claiming to be sinless. And if we truly understand our nature, that is almost never the case. Now certainly these things are going to creep into us from time to time because we are sinners by nature and by choice. 
But if it is a pattern of putting off responsibility, putting off supposed sinlessness, the word and the truth of forgiveness and cleansing effects of the gospel is not in us. The mark of one who walks in the light, one true sign of being a new creature in Christ, is not some self-conceived notion that we are free from sin. It is a brokenness for remaining sin that is marked by a joyful confidence in the cleansing, forgiving power of the grace of God in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Christian people are very good at finding ways to hide their sin and their brokenness and their messiness. It is not until we get real about this fact that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness and cleansing that we will have true fellowship with one another and with God. So when you're consumed by sin, when you're struggling hard against temptation, or when you consistently desire to be diverted away from Christ, don't tell everyone that all is well with you. All is not well. And you need their fellowship. You need their accountability. The prayers of your brothers and sisters are there to get you back on course. And remember, walking in the light is not sinlessness. Walking in the light is understanding and admitting and growing through your true nature alongside those whom God has given you true fellowship with in Christ. So how does all of that come together? We'll close with verse 9. The light causes confession. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light will cause confession. Those who are walking in the light have no desire to walk around with the burden of sin in their hearts. And this is a gift from God and it comes because of Jesus Christ. It is because we believe in the life and the work and the death and resurrection of Jesus as our only hope for salvation that God gives us the gift of a new heart that desires to be forgiven of the sins that we acknowledge exist in our lives. True fellowship with God requires the confession of sins. Notice John's statement is conditional. He says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you and I acknowledge our faults, our transgressions against the law of God, without attempting to deny or hide our sins, we experience God's faithfulness, His righteousness to forgive us. But remember, and this is crucial, it is not because of our repentance that we are forgiven. It is because of Jesus that we are forgiven. It is because Jesus, dying on a cross, received the full wrath of God on our behalf that we, the wretched, vile sinners that we are, can even dream of being forgiven by a holy, righteous God that requires blood as a penalty for sin. 
So it is by virtue of the cleansing effect of Jesus' atoning death that our sins are forgiven. And there are, I'm sure, many reasons why people do not confess their sins. Some are too prideful. Some are too lazy. Some are completely numb to their sins. And because of those things, they never confess their sins. But you see, brothers and sisters, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that confession of sins is part of what it means to walk in the light. Which implies further that denying our sinfulness cuts us off from fellowship with God completely. And confessing opens the channel of forgiveness and cleansing. So God's promise is that our sins are forgiven as soon as we admit our need for forgiveness. Not based on anything that we have done to earn that forgiveness, but because God is full of grace and love for His children. And this forgiveness carries with it a purification from unrighteousness because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. In other words, our empty account has been credited by Jesus' account. His perfection, His righteousness as our sin-bearer is put on us so that as God looks on us, all that He sees is Jesus. So I bid you, friends, Jesus bids you, confess your sins, receive the gift of salvation, Walk in the light. Flee from darkness. Not presuming that you are sinless, but acknowledging that apart from the grace of God, nothing you say and nothing you do is without sin. Be forgiven. Be cleansed. Be renewed by Jesus. And walk in the light of His endless grace and mercy and love. Let's pray together. Father, we are nearly speechless to think that we can even come before You in our sinful state to ask You to forgive us of our sins. It is our desire to sin. It is in our nature to sin. And yet, because of Jesus, You have given us new hearts that our desire would be to flee from sin. We pray, God, that You would make that so in our lives. That You would continue to build in us more and more and more desire to flee from sin. To walk in the light and to have nothing to do with darkness at all. Help us, Father, to call others out of darkness into the light. And I pray today that through Your Word, that those who are here right now, who live in darkness, would be shown the light of the Gospel, of the glory of Jesus Christ. That You would save them from Your wrath. And that You would grant them eternal life and rest with Jesus Christ. 
We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for instruction as to how we are to live this life so that we are pleasing You, that we are honoring You and making You known to this world around us for Your glory and for our good. We love You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.